He is saying, I am headed to Jerusalem at the direction of God the Father. Let me remind you. Let's go all the way back in Luke, where in his childhood years, Jesus was told by his parents when he had departed from them for several days, when they came and found him in the temple, in the synagogue, in the temple area, with those other teachers, they said, why did you do this to us? Why did you leave us? And Jesus made a comment at 12 years of age. I must do what? I must be about my father's business. Notice another statement he makes around this time within the next few weeks after this, is, this passage is done. Go to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Jesus is again going to be talking about obedience, and he makes it very clear that his greatness, his restoration of greatness, is all about obeying God the Father. In John chapter 12, which is going to be in that Passion Week, those, the, that last few days, Jesus is going to once again talk about his betrayal, his death. And he makes this comment in John chapter chapter 12. I'm sorry, I jumped up one. In verse 23, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And if any man, now watch how where he goes. If any man serve me, let him follow me. That where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serves me, what happens to him? What's the reward? God's going to honor him. He says God the Father will honor him. And then Jesus makes this comment. Now is my soul troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Remember, remember, he's in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's turmoil, such great turmoil that he sweats what? Drops of blood. Okay, and so Jesus is saying, this isn't easy. What I have in front of me is very difficult, but what should I do? What, do you, what, do you, what, what is the expectation? He says, for this cause I came. What is the cause? To do what God has assigned me to do. And Jesus talks about that idea. He knows that he is going to a certain death, a tragic death, a tragic separation, but he's doing it. And by doing that, he's going to be honored by the Father later on and restored. And so he makes reference to that back in Mark chapter 9, where he is right before, the paragraph before, he talks about the, the ingredients to greatness. He gives them his own example. In order to achieve greatness, you have to be willing to do whatever God assigns you to do. Now, for Jesus, that was sacrificing his life. That was giving himself, you know, to the cross. For you and me, it would be dying to self. It would be doing the will of God the Father. Jesus makes that very clear in this statement. By implication, by illustration, verses 30 and 31, that we're supposed to be willing to do. He was, we likewise, if we follow him, do whatever the Father said. Now, the disciples don't get it. No surprise. Look at verse 32. They understood not what he was saying. It made no sense back in Mark chapter 9. They didn't get it. But this time they are afraid to ask. They don't want to get get into any discussion. And you ask yourself, why are they afraid to ask Jesus for clarification? Well, just moments before, what did he say? Oh, faithless generation. 
How long shall I be with you? Remember when they, they, that he, they couldn't cast out the demons back in verse 19? And he rebukes them. And so they've already been, been challenged. They've already been scolded by the Lord for not understanding, for, for failing to comprehend what he is doing, what he has said already. And even now he's made it clear the second time with a clear statement that he is willing to give up his life. That's the plan. That's what the Father wants. They don't understand, so they're going to keep mum. Rather than ask a dumb question, in their minds, they're just going to keep quiet. But they don't keep quiet totally. Look what happens in the next passage. As they were on their travels, as they were headed, they come into Capernaum. And when they come that night into a house, the house, whatever one it happens to be, whether it's Peter's home or somebody else's, when they come in the house, Jesus says, hey, when we were walking on the road, you guys were having conversation. Now, in this passage, it's very clear, the original language, it says, when he asked them, what is it that you were it's not discussing. It's what were you arguing about? So he noticed that there was some type of agitation. There was some type of disagreement. There was some type of, you know, not just joking, not just silly bantering, but there was some serious conversation going on between all the different disciples. And then he says, okay, what is it? But notice their response. They held their peace. They aren't going to give him an answer. Because, it says, by the wayside or by their travels, they had been arguing amongst themselves. And what was the discussion? Who should be the greatest? Why would they talk about it at that moment? Why would they have this discussion of who's the greatest? Well, remember, Jesus has just said, I'm going to give up my life. And as soon as he said it, every time he says that, they start talking about what, what benefits, how it's going to benefit them. Next time he says it, they're going to say, well, who gets to sit at your one side or the other side? And so when Jesus talks about his death and resurrection, they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's going to be something. They don't, under, they don't get it all, but somehow, some way, it's going to benefit me. And remember, they just came off the Mount of Transfiguration. What did, who or what did Jesus do as far as accompanying up to the top of the mountain? Did all 12 go up with him on the mountain? No. How many went? Three of them. Okay, And with the others down below at the bottom of the mountain, what was their problem? They were unable to cast out the demons. So put yourself in that group of people. Who might have been saying, we are going to get the higher, better seats? Maybe of the 12, it could be some of the more heroic ones that we elevate. It could be Peter, James, or John because they were up there on top of the mountain. They weren't failing down in the valley below. Or it could be some other, other discussions. We don't know who's saying what. But we know that they were arguing and they were prompted at this moment. They were all worried about their rank. By the way, let me throw this out. In a Jewish culture, in that society, they were very concerned about rank and position. You've heard about it. You've seen the parables. You've read them where they were all concerned about it in the public settings Rank was so important, especially when you sit at a feast. And Jesus talked about that several times, did he not? That you don't worry about rank. In fact, if you're going to be wise, don't go and put yourself in the top seat, but do what? Take a lower seat. Okay, in their culture, it was very, very oriented by showing position, showing rank via where you sat or a position. I didn't realize this, but then Qumran, um, in the community, the Qumran community was a Jewish sect 
around this time, and it was a monastic group. They did a lot of writing. They did a lot of different uh, printed materials of that time. And one of their major books was entitled, I want to make sure I get the right title here when I bring it up to your attention, is that they had... Uh, in that in that uh, booklet, they had the comments that it was called the rules of the community. The rules of the community, and then there was a lengthy section about when you come in to sit down, who is supposed to come in first, who is supposed to sit where, who, and they they elaborated upon it. They even elaborated that in their community, when people gather for their public assembly, when they gather for their worship time or their Bible reading time, who walks in the door first. Who comes in second? Who comes in third? So in that society, this whole idea of rank and position was really, really a part of their thinking and a part of their, their culture. And so Jesus has his disciples, and they're very oriented that way. They're all about this idea of, okay, position, recognition, rank. And so right away they start arguing when they think at all, about that idea of Jesus passing away and possibly the entrance of his kingdom, they're all about, okay, hey, let's, um, let's, let's figure out who's got what position, who's got what order. Besides, he said he's going to be leaving. If he's going to be leaving, which we don't believe totally, but if he's going to be leaving, one of us is going to have to be in charge. And so let's argue about the strength. Let's argue about the position. But when Jesus said to them, okay, what was it you were talking about? They held their peace. Why didn't they want to admit that that's been their discussion? You tell me, what reasons why they, do you think they would be tempted, they would have the tendency not to say anything at first? They didn't want him to leave. They didn't want him to be gone. Well, they didn't want him to be gone. That's true. There's no doubt about that. Okay. But why, if he is saying, why, why would you have that conversation? Why were they mum? It was wrong. What they were talking about is wrong. Okay? And he, it's, they've been, ha, their last couple of days have been a pretty terrible track record. When he took them up on the, on the mountain to pray, what did they do? Okay. When they were supposed to be casting out the demons, what does he have to say? You guys aren't involved with prayer and fasting the way you should be. And you don't understand this. They, they've been having a pretty good series of failures at this point. And all of a sudden this comes up. But here, to throw this out. If somebody said to you, um, I just got a death sentence. I, I, you know, I, the doctor told me I'm going to die. What, what would you think if out of the next person's mouth is, can I have your couch? That's what they're doing to Jesus. Their concern isn't about Jesus and what he is suffering. Where does their concern go to? Them. What, what are we going to get out of it? You and I would find that extremely crass. I think it's not only embarrassment. I think there's tremendous guilt in their silence. That what they did is they realized, wait a minute, we should have been more concerned about Jesus' feelings. This was all about us. And so there's, they're, they're totally embarrassed. They're just into that idea of total silence. So you look at the text. Jesus, what he does is, okay, it's teaching time. He takes a position. He takes a posture of, a, of the teacher in a public setting. What does he do? Well, look at the, look at the story. He sits down, and then he says, Hey, 12, I'm going to sit down, and I want you to come here. Can you imagine their feelings? They're a little bit embarrassed. And now he says, Come, come here. And they're gathering. Can you put yourself in their sandals? You're thinking, I'm going to get it now, and I deserve it. 
And Jesus starts speaking. He tells them, he says, okay, let me give you life lessons. And life lesson is any man desires to be first, the same shall, and in our concept, we, if we want to add some words here that give a better concept, the same shall make himself last is the idea. He shall become, he shall take the position of last, and he shall serve how many people? He shall become the servant of all. Okay, Let, let's make the, uh, the application. Truly great people, we said number one, are putting God first. Okay, they're willing to do whatever God assigns. Truly great people are those who are willing, what do you want to put in here? Willing to do what? Serve other people. Serve other people. In other words, they put blank ahead of who? They put others ahead of... So, okay, okay. Now, watch how this... There's, there's several truths that stand out that are very, very important in this application. Okay, number one, how many people does this apply to? How do you know that? How do you know that this idea of putting others first applies to all of us? If any man, the same, okay? So this application is to everyone in this room, okay? And it can be done. Let's make another truism. It can be done by any of us in this room. Because again, he's using that, that totally inclusive terms, any man, all. That idea of uh, one is that all of us are supposed to have this mindset. This can be accomplished by all of us. Let's make a third statement. This was to become a lifestyle. This was to become a lifestyle. Serving other people wasn't supposed to be a Sunday goal meeting idea. It wasn't supposed to be once in a great while. It's to be a lifestyle. He even uses the verbs that he uses in this idea of the continuous idea. You know, shall keep on making himself last. Shall keep on receiving as a little child. And so he's using the present tense verbs with the idea that this is supposed to be our nature. Letting people go first. Letting others be, be uh, noticed before we're noticed. I'm going to make another comment that's very, very important. Important. And this is something that we may not fully understand because of our Christian culture. But back in that day, what he is, uh, what he is asking of them to put others first, it is totally anti-cultural. Very anti-cultural. Plato writes in his writings. He makes this comment. How can a man be happy when he has to serve another person? Okay, now that is a major philosophical statement that is applicable in that world of that day. That the comments made by those scholars, by those who were the intelligentsia, they were saying that really serving other peoples is a belittling thing. That you basically, you should be looking out for who? Yourself. And if you're really going to be successful in life, instead of you serve others, you should make sure... Others serve you. Okay. Isn't that so different from the United States? <laughs> but that was the mindset. In that world, in that ancient world, serving others indicated weakness. By the way, it makes perfect sense. What was the majority of the civilization at that point in the Mediterranean world? What was their positions, their jobs? The majority of people were, they were slaves. So is all about slavery was all about serving, and that was a major part of the population. So those of you who would be middle class and upper class back in that day, you would be saying, I don't want to serve other people. That's demeaning. That's for the low life. That's for the in, those who are unable to protect themselves or provide for themselves. They're the servants. And Jesus comes with this totally, totally um, 
They could have responded by saying bizarre, but totally anti-cultural statement. You, if you're going to be great, you need to have a mindset, put others first. Put others first. Put others and you start serving everyone. Now, continue a little bit on. That what Jesus is talking about here. His idea of putting other people first is, is very important because it's, it involves that idea of putting others ahead of yourself when he makes the statement, the same shall make himself last. So in application, he's saying, okay, you choose this. You willingly say to yourself, this is the position I'm going to do. So then what he does is he grabs a child to illustrate the application of it. He takes a young child, puts him in the middle of these guys. So whatever home they're in, they're in a home where there's a family. And he puts the child in the midst, takes the child and says, okay, whosoever, again, anyone in this room, whosoever shall receive one of these such children in my name receives me. So what he's talking about in this idea of putting other people first it involves the idea of showing favorable, favorable attention to a nobody. Showing some type of favorable, favorable attention to a nobody. The idea of receiving somebody is the idea of welcoming them. The idea of letting them feel important. Now, I want to throw something at you. In the Arabic world, the, in the ancient world, the word for child and the word for servant were identical. And that was the concept back in the ancient world. The idea of children being valuable, valuable, valuable entities. And it, that, that, that's us. That is not Bible times and dates. Children could be either property or children were to be an asset to help us in our business. They weren't necessarily as much of an investment as you think with your children, grandchildren, of, you know, give them attention and they're very valuable. Besides, and I don't mean to be, I, I don't mean to be um, so crass about this. The majority of children didn't reach adulthood. So your investment into your children as far as thought and, and attitude, even to protect some of the, the hardships and the heartaches, is there was a little bit of a distancing. And so when, G, when Jesus is making this statement, he is taking somebody that in that culture, in that time, they wouldn't say this is somebody who is of great interest, somebody of great value. This is a child who at this point, in a legal sense, this child has the same, he was on the same status as a slave in your home until he's adopted. And so Jesus is making a comment that is absolutely you know, mind-blowing to some of these guys is, okay, let's take this child. We're to really show attention. And by the way, when, when children come to Jesus at another time, what do the disciples do? Oh, Jesus, Jesus, there's little kids. Isn't this exciting? Little kids want to hear about you. Yes, no? No, what do they do? Shoo them away. Why? That's their mindset. It's not American. Okay? This is an oriental mindset that we have to understand. When Jesus says this, he is talking to people who really didn't highly value the children because they're children. They, they, they were looked at as not a full asset, not, you know, more of an expense, and, you know, they may not survive. And there was a, there was a different culture. And he's saying, but I want you, this is a nobody. This is somebody that in your home is like a slave. I want you to pay great attention. I want you to go out of your way to really let them know you value them. Oh, that's asking for something. That's like asking some of you to go way out of your way and welcome every visitor that walks in the door. And you say, I, I'm not comfortable with that. 
That's not me. That's not what I normally do. Walk up to total strangers and engage them in conversation. You say, I'd rather not do that if I'm in the public. He's asking his disciples to do that. To go out of their comfort zone and really pay attention. He's asking them to do like some of you would say, hey, you go into a restaurant. And some of you have had this experience. You go into a restaurant, sit down, and the waiter, waitress walks up and says, what do you want? And you go, huh? How about a hello? Hello, what do you want? And you say, wait, wait, I want somebody, if I'm going to sit there, I want somebody to make me feel like... Okay, no, come on. What do you want the waiter, waitress, how do you want them to treat you? What? Yeah, because, you know, like, I really like you, Larry, because I want a good tip. Okay, so I'm going to go on. You want them to, okay, some of you make this comment. I don't like this doctor, but I like this doctor. And one of those comments that you often make is because that doctor in their personality, in their personal comments, they make me feel like... Yeah, I'm more than a number. You know, I, I, there's, they know me better than this chart, and you know, they didn't read it wrong. Okay. It, we, we want that attentiveness at times. And Jesus is saying, okay, you want it, but do you do it? And if you want to have greatness in your life, one of the things you do is you go out of the way, and by the way, this is, this is not even in your notes, this is an F1, that basically you show favor towards the nobodies. F2 in your notes would be you treat others favorably without expectation of return. What could the child give back to the disciples who pay attention to them? Nothing. But what was the Pharisees' frequency? Who did they show favor towards? People who could return their favors. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be different. If you want real greatness, if you want me to recognize you as great, what I want you to do is start putting other people in front of you. That is, people who aren't recognized. People who you often overlook. People who, you know, you may not get anything out of them. They may not profit you. So I ask you the simple question. Just in, 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 in this type of a setting, do you go out of your way when you walk in the room to make others feel like you're really glad to see them? Or do you walk in and find your seat and it's like, leave me alone? You know, how do we respond? How do we make application? How do we treat others that we come in contact? That idea, he says, now treat them. And, and I'm not sure how this, how this unfolds. You, you need to welcome them, receive them. In my name. What's that mean? What's it mean to receive them in my name? Several possibilities. Several possibilities. You treat them as if they were Jesus Christ. Would you go out of your way if Jesus walked in? Would you, would you, Jesus, I'm so glad to see you. Would do that to my kids. Okay, that's a possibility. You do it as you would Jesus. Or you treat them as Jesus would treat them. Did Jesus shy away from the sick people? Did Jesus shy away from the poor? That's where he was revolutionary in what he was doing. Or maybe, maybe he means in my name is that you do this as I have commanded you. That all men shall know you are my disciples if you have love one towards another. Or maybe what he means in my name is, you do this in my power because this isn't innately within you to be able to be loving and gracious. And for some of us, 
it's a real stretch to do it in our own strength because we are task-oriented or we are self-oriented. And so whatever one of those applications, if not all, in my name, what he ends up saying at the end of the verse is, when he, when he concludes, he says, um, and whosoever shall receive me receives not me, but him that sent me. This is how you serve the Lord. This is how you honor God Almighty. Then he goes into a next discussion, and I think that next discussion is your genius notes gives the idea that this idea of putting others first is being gracious and encouraging to other saints who are serving God the way God wants them to. Because in the middle of this conversation, John pipes up. I don't know why John speaks up. Why does John offer the comments that he offers? Is it because he's done something in his mind that is great and worth recognition? Is it because that Jesus has made a comment receiving and left it wide open and John wants clarification? He wants to identify, well, we don't receive everyone. And then John makes the comment. John speaks up and says, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and he follows not us, and we forbade him because he follows not us. Jesus says, ho, 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 stop, stop, time out. You stop forbidding him. Can I make some observations before we stop at this point? Okay, John obviously felt he was an example, that he would, what he had done was something very commendable. I think John is caught totally off guard by Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't commend what he had done. He does what? Doesn't commend it. He he condemns it. Now look at the wording that John puts. What is really weird about John's wording that he talks about? There's some ironies here that stand out. I'll give you a hint. John is saying to this guy about this man that he stopped. He was not following. What should he have said? right? Jesus, we stopped him because he wasn't following you. Okay? That should have been what he thought. What does that tell you about John's thinking? John and whoever was with him because he says we. Where does John think he is at this point in his life? Yeah? Is John a standard setter in John's mind? That, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm following you, Jesus, so therefore you, you people follow, follow him and me. And Jesus is going to burst his bubble real quick. You know what I find really ironic and really a contradiction? John stops somebody from doing what? What was the, what was the man doing? Casting out demons. And there's somebody else with him. He says, we stopped. What did the disciples, what were they unable to do two paragraphs before? Cast out demons. And Jesus said to them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? You And Jesus right away says, "This, this can be done by prayer and fasting. He had said casting out demons is a good thing. And it's a really great thing. And then John pipes up and says, well, we stopped some guy from doing it because he wasn't with us. What? If John had an ounce of common sense, he would have kept his mouth shut. He opened it and just showed contradiction after contradiction. But it is obvious, it's obvious from this text 
that God's standard of separation, and I'm all for separation, God's standard of separation isn't the same as his disciples at all times. Is that a fair statement? John, John's standard of separation was me. I'm the standard. What I prefer, what I do. And Jesus' standard is not the same. Jesus' standard is, hey, listen, if the guy is not, is, is not against us, he's for us, basically. If he is doing the work that I have sent, even if he's not a part of our little group, don't forbid him. What a lesson for a lot of us to just think this through a whole bunch. Okay, the, the point is, and, let me, and I'll come and I'll pick up next week. Let me just bring it so we can have our prayer time. Is that what he is saying to us is that a part, of, a part of receiving others, a part of putting others first, is encouraging those who are ministering. Even in small ways, in different ways from us. That he says, you know, if we're going to put others first, let's make sure we're not discouraging them. Let's make sure we're not, we're not putting them down. Let's be cautious and careful that we welcome them. Let's be cautious and careful that what we do is that we're helping them to see the importance and encourage them. If they're doing God's work, God's way, according to his truth, let's, let's encourage them. Let's help them. Let's not be over, overly critical of what they are doing the way that they are doing it different from us. That's part of this whole idea of putting others first. There's more to it. There's more of putting others first that I think comes up in the rest of the verses, but we'll pick it up next week. My challenge for my heart was this evening to just think, oh, wait a minute. Greatness isn't position. Greatness isn't possessions. Greatness is having the attitude that Jesus had. Put God first. Greatness is having the attitude Jesus recommends. Put others first like receiving them, like encouraging them. Now you take the application and say, how can I do that? How can I go out of my realm of comfort to receive others, to encourage others more, to allow them to, to you know, be put above me where I am serving and serving and serving without having to get the recognition, without having to have my two cents be what's promoted? How do I serve others? How do you do it in home? How do you do it to your spouse? How do you do it to your kids? How do you do it to fellow worshipers? How do you live this? Ooh. You start listing off applications, you're going to fill in a whole sheet. And if you wonder how to do that, then maybe we should pray and spend the rest of this time praying, God, give me wisdom how to put others first. Father, bless our prayer time these next few minutes. Help us, help us, help us to live out, not just think about this, but to actually live this out when it comes to tomorrow's workaday world, when it comes to even conversations here, when it comes to what we say and how we say it to the little ones. God, help us by your grace. Give us a sweet time of these next few minutes in prayer, I pray in your name. Amen. Let's